Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi. In our fourth year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. I'm your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet and playwright. This is episode 234, Using Pain in the Creative Process. Now, I thought it was interesting because I know a number of figures uh, throughout history, various artists, writers, etc., you know, have had to deal with all types of different elements and still be creative and still have to live life and and how that affects each other is is not only interesting but it, it's in many ways a, a mysterious type of a force how things can can push you in one direction you didn't expect to go i know recently i broke my ankle and it's just amazing that the things that we take for granted i mean it's i gotta walk in a different way i gotta take a shower in a different manner and all these different things that you didn't expect to have to do, you still have to do, and you still have to deal with life, you know? Taking care of the family and the house and job and writing and all kinds of stuff. So none of that stuff stops just because you get hurt. But like the title suggests, many of us, especially if we're dealing with pain on a long-term basis or maybe even on a lifetime basis, uh, we have to learn to use pain in the creative process. So we're going to talk about that, okay? Now, we got three different categories here. I'm not really going to stick to them because I'm going to jump back and forth, but I'll specify what category it is when I talk about the, the various artists, okay? But you only really have three major ones uh, to deal with when, you, when you're concerned, we're talking about pain. You're either talking about the, uh, the physical type or you're talking about the emotional type or you're talking about the psychological type, okay? So those are the only the three ones that we have that people have to deal with on a regular basis when they're artists, okay? So let's talk about one of the first artists over here. Uh, we all know him well as uh, George Orwell, author of uh, Animal Farm, 1984, etc., etc. Um, he had lifelong lung ailments, I mean, I, and I do. I think it definitely as exasperated when he went in to join in, in the civil, the Spanish Civil War, and how that caused him more issues. Eventually, uh, he died of uh, tuberculosis in a sanitarium at, at a younger age. It's so horrible when these when you read about these people dying of things that we could just give a couple pills for, and and you and you're good to go. It's just. <laughs> It's incredible to waste. But he had to deal with that his entire life, and he dealt with it well under the circumstances. In fact, many a times, um, people who worked with him, whether they be other journalists and writers or just family members, didn't always uh, even notice that he was dealing with this sort of thing. I'm not suggesting that he covered it up or anything. I just, I'm just suggesting that um, he figured out ways to, to make it work for him. And, and, and of course, a lot of them still have a life, which he did. But... Um, in many instances, uh, a, a quite painful one at times. All right, the next one here, and that was that was one. Uh, uh, that's an example of a physical element. Okay, um, we have a lot of artists that uh, dealt with depression. We'll talk about a few of them. Uh, another one is Edgar Degas, the uh, the famous uh, Spanish painter. 
dealt with uh, depression. In many instances, depression can be in different degrees and even in different strengths during the course of a day or a month or a year or whatever. So it doesn't always happen in the same manner. And I understand from his particular one, it did. Sometimes it was even debilitating to where, you know, he couldn't paint or he couldn't walk around the house. He had to just lay down or take a walk someplace or go to the garden or just try to get refreshed in order to be able to deal with it. And, you know, and back then they didn't have anything to really help him medication-wise. But you'll note that a lot of painters who dealt with depression, they wind up painting much more serious scenes and much more serious things in their works but the guy was different he 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 tried to capture the things that that's in life over there if you remember the famous ballet dancer series he did there's something that's pretty and it's delightful and it, it, it's youthful and, and joyful and just you know the people in the in the spring of their life you know dancing and having a, a good time and I mean, you, you really can't get too much more positive than that, even though, you know, he saw life in such a, a, a dreary fashion. So it's amazing how he was able to counter-program himself to do that, because it's not always the case. I mean, someone like Edwin Munch, if you remember for his famous painting, The Scream, I think the painting uh, that's been stolen four times in the world already, worth hundreds of millions of dollars, some weird-looking alien dude screaming on a bridge. I mean, sh you know, as you can see from most of his work, including that one, uh, it definitely reflected um, some of his mental anguish. Like I said, everybody had a different, uh, you know, take on it, and um, this is how he expressed it. So that guy was definitely uh, suffering for sure. All right. Uh, next here would be uh, Michelangelo. Well, here's is much more physical. Okay, he's one of the first real cases we've seen in artists that they had to deal with arthritis. It was in his hands. And it was very difficult for him sometimes to even open and close his hands. You know, he did a lot of uh, massage therapy. I think they used the olive oil in there to help. And, you know, he did a lot of that. It, it's it's a well-known fact that he, you know, his back was always hurting and sore. But that really wasn't his ultimate issue because he got that just from laying on the bench going up there having to paint the you know, Sistine Chapel ceiling. But it's the it's the debilitation of his hands that really became a, a, a serious issue. Later on, he had to deal with uh, with gallstones, and you, know, you can imagine how painful those are, especially when you don't have much of a medical treatment, like you know, six hundred years ago. Literally, I can't even imagine what kind of stuff he was dealing with on that. And I don't know if that's just uh, from all the laying down he was doing on the bench when he's painting or from a poor diet or stress or who knows maybe he's just you know genetically predisposed for that but you know he dealt with those two issues so i can't imagine that you see some of the greatest works of art ever created in uh, mankind came from michelangelo who's uh, constantly in pain all right next one over here is a poet writer and by the name of paul clee he is one of the very first um, artists that gone through all these terrible skin uh, afflictions and the pain from that. And then, of course, later on, it was determined after his death that he, he was, uh, years later, when they determined that the disease was uh, scleroderma, uh, a very painful skin disease. So it was one of the first ones to go through that. And, and of course, still deal with the writing, still deal with the arts, still try to have human contact. 
And this is what they all have to deal with. How you can figure out to, if not lessen the pain, just sort of work it into your life that it just becomes another part of, you know, who you are. You know, like um, having a, a third wheel, a third person on a date, or or just, uh, you know, a heel spur. That's, you just got to deal with it for a while. Sometimes a lifetime in these cases. I know it's just incredible. One of the ones I always found it very fascinating was the was the painter Goya, because he wind up getting cancer and then getting surgery for that, and the surgery wound up putting him in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And he decided not to give up painting, but rather to change his entire method on how to paint now that he's in a wheelchair. And he wound up doing that. So, in many ways, if you look over to the uh, painting's history of Goya, you could literally cut to where um, it was before the wheelchair and after the wheelchair. And you see a real distinct difference. Not just in the subject matter, but in the style itself and what he was trying to do. Because, you know, you think about it, uh, painting no different than writing in many ways. You, you're pacing the floor, you're thinking, you're rethinking. You're it's a lot of just moving around. It's not just painting itself. There's lots of thought going into it and... You know, probably not the easiest thing to do when you're in a wheelchair, you know. So, it's good that he was able to figure that out. And and still continue his career in a successful way. Now, some of this is probably going to be inspiring to you. And don't get me wrong, it's not like I don't want it to be inspiring to you. But, you know, in the same, in the same essence, it's really about the practical things that we do to maintain our lives and our focus. Many of us and many artists you'll find, um, and I don't mean this in an addiction type of way, like on a drug or drinking or something, but many of us have known the arts for so long that, you know, it becomes second nature, it becomes something that's part of who we are and what we do and even how we breathe. So when pain comes into our life or injury or disease or whatever, you know, I think for many of us, it's incumbent to try to figure out, well, how do I deal with this? How do I make allowances for this? How do I sidestep this? How do I reduce this? How do I figure out ways to, to continue my life in some kind of creative, productive fashion with the understanding that I don't know if this is ever going to go away? So it's really what I'm talking about most about this show when I'm saying using pain, you know, as a in the creative process and some of this is going to inspire you don't get me wrong but you know i'm i'm not really looking to jump into a wheelchair um anytime soon to be doing something creative this uh this crutch and this dumb scooter i got to run around the house with that that's enough of a reminder of how messed up i am at the moment all right here we go so we got Another wheelchair one, Henry Mortise, did the same thing. Wound up changing his method. from uh, Also from surgery. Um, something that we don't really talk about a lot, you don't really hear a little about, is, is Frida Cahill. We, we, you know, and I, I think sometimes because of the subject matter of the artists that we wind up getting talking too much about the stuff that they were trying to deal with. You know, um... The romantic relations, uh, especially with women with her, 
um, the the uh, colonialism and its effect on society, culture, and all these things that we talk about when we talk about her. And we also talk about the feminism of her and because, you know, she's a woman. But we also neglect some of the things she was dealing with. Now, here's a woman that she literally had to get over polio, which is amazing in itself, and then she winds up getting into a bus accident. And that bus accident winds up fracturing her collarbone and many of the things in her body that she continued to do with pain with the entire part of her life. It never went away. So if you think about her as somebody that's just a brilliant artist or as somebody that really able to, to, to get across a message on the various things she wanted to paint about, well, don't forget she's doing that under the auspices of a woman in a, a male-dominated society of Mexico, of a woman that was also a lesbian and how to deal with that. And, uh, and, and I don't suggest that being a lesbian is more difficult than being a straight person in terms of just the practicality of it, but I can just imagine in a society that's not exactly uh, accommodating that. That's, that can't be the easiest thing. And then, of course, all the physical pain that she had to deal with. So, it, and she winds up becoming a world-renowned artist. So, it's, it's incredible in, in itself, you know? Alright, here's somebody that I learned as I'm doing some research on this I didn't know before. Uh, Django Reinhardt, quite a famous uh, guitarist. He got stuck in a fire in a house and burnt half of his body. He had to deal with the pain of that, but... A lot of the fire also damaged his hands and fingers. And this is the guitarist, you know? So, I, I think if you're going to pray for anything, you're going to pray that you're, something doesn't happen to your hands. But unfortunately, that's what happened to him. And he wind up figuring out his own way of playing with the fact that he had some fingers that wasn't working very well, that were in pain. and So he had to deal with that and, and, and learn something different. Something happened similar to uh, to the other guitarist uh, from Black Sabbath, uh, uh, Tony Iommi, where he got most of his fingertips ripped off in, in um, a manufacturing machine when he worked in a factory when he was younger. And he had to also learn and how to operate the guitar with that situation. And I think in his case, he don't even use much of a pick. He just uses his his fingers in a, in a, in a certain fashion. It probably contributed to the the slower, heavier beat that he came out with uh, that other people didn't come out with, that big, you know, droning sound that has a lot of space in it. But again, here's somebody that figured out problems he has and overcame it. Um, as you, many of you might know already, um, uh, the uh, drummer for uh, Def Leppard, he wound up losing his arm in a car accident. Now you think about it, a drummer, oh my God, I don't want to lose my arm or hand or something. That's what, that's what happened. That's the worst thing that can happen. Um, and, and kudos and, and much congratulations to Def Leppard that they kept him on when he said, I'm going to relearn how to play. And he wind up doing that with one hand and he uses the foot to replace the arm and, and, and then a little electronic uh, uh, device as well that allows him to play drums. I saw him in Germany at the Monsters of Rock and it was his first time he got to play in public with the whole arm situation and he did great and everybody was really cheering him on and it was a hell of an interesting moment i got to, i got a chance to see that live and that was kind of a, a fun thing it really was but again it shows you you want to stick to your arts well you could figure out a way to get things done 
I mean, quite frankly, you know, if that happened like 50 years ago, I mean, he probably would have been stuck. But it didn't, and he was able to use the technology and his own human spirit to his advantage, and maybe in many ways to our advantage too. A lot of this is not just about the pursuit of arts while I'm dealing with pain. A lot of it has to do with trying to recover your own human spirit so that you could get back onto that road of, of the creative process, of being an artist, of doing all the things that you need to do, and still find a measure of dignity, and still find some some courage, and, and still find some uh, you know light at the end of the tunnel. So we really do need that human spirit. It's probably in more artists than it is in regular people, in some instances, I'd say. Although you do see it a lot in athletes, so I don't want to just say artists, but... It's definitely essential to uh, putting this all together. It's not just about I want to still write, and uh, and, uh, and I'm all messed up. It's just also about, you know, why do I want to still write? Do I still have something more to say? Can I add something more to the world that you know at large? And how do I do that? And that's really what a lot of people face when they're dealing with these kind of elements. They're dealing with trying to find their spirit and find their their voice again you know in in the middle of uh, all the all the damage that happens because when you think about it the damage of a physical situation or an emotional event or a psychological you know mental illness type they are still even though you can name them and say what's going on, they are still things that you have to try to, if not overcome, you have to find a way to live with them. If anyone saw A Beautiful Mind about the uh, Nobel Prize winning uh, mathematician John Nash, you find a man that went through hell but figured out a way through therapy to live with his schizophrenia and the fact that he saw people in front of him that wasn't there. And that was just not going to go away from him. Some people it can through therapy and, and medication and, and etc. Some people like him, it, it, it wasn't going away. He had to figure out a way to live with it. And he did and it was a real, real success story. But that's what many people have to face. Because a lot of times when we're talking about pain here, we're not necessarily talking about it in a temporary way, like like me with the ankle and everything. I know in a couple months I'll be back to normal, go out to running, and just try to be more careful, you know. But um, others, they have a, a, a many years or even a lifetime of this. So it's important for us to understand what they're trying to go through and how it affects the, the creative process because it definitely does. If you think about it, and I do sometimes because it just kind of crosses my mind. You know, does that situation, and I'm not trying to be devil advocate over here. I'm not even trying to sound dokey, okay? But does it change you in a certain way? I don't mean even in a permanent way, but does it change something about your personality? Does it make your human spirit that much more stronger? Do you look at the world in a different way from a lot of these artists we just talked about some of them they they made it made them look at the world even darker and others 
it didn't seem to have the same kind of effect that you would have expected from that arse. Although it's a real possibility, and we don't know for sure. I mean, Degas is dead for a long, long time now, but for all we know, his depression affected him deeply, and even in a negative manner, and maybe he just dealt with it in a personal when he's away from the canvas kind of way, but when he went to the canvas, you know, he forced the things he wanted to get on there, and they were positive. So we don't know if he really overcame it, or he just put it to the side enough to be able to, to get on what he was doing. But for some reason, it didn't affect his work and some of the character of, of his paintings. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't still affect you. How we change with that effect is, it's a mystery because not, maybe, I don't think everybody can do it. I mean, I'd love to be able to say that, you know, if they only tried harder, if they only did this, they only did that. We don't know. Hemingway did everything possible to, to deal with his depression. Alcohol, uh, uh, medication, electrotherapy, regular therapy, until he eventually killed himself. So it wasn't like this guy wasn't trying, you know? And others, we just don't know. We don't know the intensity of it. We don't know what their human spirit can do. We don't know if a person's human spirit is strong for the arts, but it's not strong for people, or maybe not strong for the body when it has things that cause them to fail. When it fails on them, we just don't know. So it's a, it's a very individual thing. There's no real formula for it. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, if you know somebody that's dealing with this, try to do whatever you can to be supportive of them. Just understand that your support might not make a difference for them. It might be such an internal, personal, even brutal thing that they're just stuck having to face it themselves. Which, of course, is never a great thing. For many artists, particularly writers, um... The act itself is a very singular one in terms of it's full of solitude and, and, and full of separation in many ways. Sometimes we need that as writers in order to be able to, to regain focus or maybe to possibly even tap in to our own inspirational thoughts without having the, you know, the world peep in. Yeah, and other times it's, it's just necessary because Many people, particularly artists, they they only feel the strength of the of, of the call of of the process of being creative when they are alone. It's like, and I can testify this to, to at times, and you probably can too. Where there's times when you're alone, whether it's you know by choice or accident, where you, you might feel like you're the most of who you are. And, and I, I talked about this on a number of other shows where there's such an honesty deficit with people where they just don't they just don't act or say what they should say and, and so many of us pretend so much at the job, at the politics, at the church, at the marriage, at the family that when you get a chance to be alone you, you, you barely know who the hell you are anymore because you're too busy being somebody else. And I don't mean being somebody else in terms of another role. I understand that I might have to put down my pen to be a father for a moment there, or, or a husband, or something like that. I got that. But um, I'm talking about 
in a dishonest way. And, and when I say dishonesty, I'm, I'm really not talking about some cruel, malicious thing that, that affects a person's integrity. I mean the common dishonesty that we do that in many ways accumulates over time and I think it hurts us and wears us down. You know? Hey man, how you doing? I don't know. I don't like to say stuff like that if I really don't care about how the person is doing. I'm not trying to sound like a jerk here. I'm just serious. What's the point? Why be dishonest from the first thing you talk to somebody about? I'd rather just go into something that I might be interested in saying. Or maybe just, hey, hey, how you been doing there? But those kinds of dishonesty, I think it wears people down. I think it hurts their spirit. I really think it hurts their character in many ways. When you see people... Men talk about midlife crises, or women talk about that they lost themselves in marriage, they don't even know who the hell they are anymore. That's not, that's a real thing, it's not a joke. It's not an excuse. It's real, it's not something for Oprah. It's something that many people tackle, and I'm telling you they tackle this because of three things. First thing, they spend too much time just simply being fake and dishonest. I know society tells us this is supposed to be the polite thing to do, but I don't know how the hell it's supposed to be polite for me to be dishonest with you. You know, hey Mark, how's my hair? I, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't, I'm not into your hair. It's, it's not for me. Maybe next time. You know, I'm supposed to say it's great. Really? Let me tell you something, folks. If everything's great, then nothing's great. Okay? If everybody's an artist, nobody's an artist. If everybody's a racist, there's no racism. It's all the same thing. So giving these fake answers don't help anybody. It doesn't help the person you're giving it to. And it certainly doesn't help you. That's the first thing. The second thing is just many people are in this, I don't know, permanent like caretaker role. It's almost like they're so insecure that if they're not focusing on somebody else and helping them, you know, they, they can't get through the, to the course of a day. But that really, really wears on people. That's how people get lost, you know, in relationships. I knew a guy. Yeah, and there'll probably be women listening on the show saying, I don't, I don't take this seriously, and it's just an excuse, and that's fine. But I, I take it seriously. He told me one time, he was dating a girl for three years, and he said that at the end of three years, he had to leave her because he didn't even recognize who he was anymore. He spent so much time lying to her, faking out stuff, talking baloney to her family, saying this and saying that, and everything he could possibly then to possibly keep her happy, in the end, happiness is, has to be a two-way street. If you're spending all your energy making the other person happy, I guarantee you, you're not happy. And you're going to get less happy as time goes by. I mean, the dude was miserable. Okay? Now, this is of his own doing, because guess what? He's not with, and I knew the girl, he's not with a girl that's a miserable person. She's not a fake individual. She's not even someone I would consider to be dishonest. In fact, she's a, a nice girl, smart girl. I guess it just never occurred to her that this, this guy was bending over backwards, everything he possibly can. We all do this in relationships. I don't care what gender you are, what orientation you are. From time to time, fine. you got to do that now and then. I'm okay with that. But every damn working moment of the day, yeah. I mean, I'm telling. He, he he told me he went into therapy, and guess what? We don't know the answer because he never went back to her. But we don't know that after therapy, when he finds who he is and everything like that, that he can even be with that same person again. Because 
Who knows if that was the right person for him since he spent so much time <laughs> being dishonest. This sort of thing happens. And it happens a lot with artists as well, too. And I don't mean that in a writer's block sense, because that's more of a temporary thing. It's more of an emotional constipation kind of thing. But I mean in the, in the sense of that you get burnt out. And a lot of people do. Not only because they don't venture out to do something different. You know, let's say they're just writing short fiction or they're just writing novels about robots, you know, blowing up the world or something. But they haven't really figured out new ways to be creative, new things to think about. Maybe even new books to read or maybe just to refresh their own self for a while. It's really a, a, a good thing and I encourage people, but a lot of people don't want to do it. But it's a good thing to take off some time whenever you can. Uh, even if it's a week or two or whatever. Some people don't want to. Oh, it'll leave me. If you're talented, if you care about doing it, nothing's going to leave you. Okay? If anything, more things might come to you because you gave your, your brain a break. <laughs> you know? And I encourage it because I think it helps people stay stronger. And I also think that it, it reduces their chances to get burnt out. And when you do get burnt out, Keep in mind that just like these artists that we're talking about over here, that is in some ways an emotional thing, in some ways also a psychological thing, but in many ways it's an emotional thing because you, you feel it on yourself. Oh, I don't know if I could do this anymore. And it's not easy for somebody to start over again in terms of trying to investigate something new to, to, to uh, be creative about. Or, or new to write about. So I, I, even though I encourage it as a way to try to keep yourself from getting burnt out, I, I, I'm not making light of it. I understand it's not easy, but it sure is easier than getting burnt out and not want to come back to it for a long time. Not sure where you're at. So in many ways, it's a preemptive, uh, uh, more like a, a, like just like a prevention of something bad that can happen to you. And, and uh, to me, in many ways, it's almost like a, like a soul medicine to give yourself a break. Being creative is not easy. It takes a lot from us. I remember I had someone tell me something cynical one time. You know, I laughed it off, but later on I thought about it. I'm like, hey, there can be some truth to that. I mean, the guy's being a jerk, but still, being a jerk doesn't always mean that you're wrong. And this guy told me one time, he goes, when you want to capture all the time you just wasted doing all this art stuff, and to think deep thoughts instead of just living life. I don't entirely agree with what he has to say, but some of what he has to say does have merit. It's never a good thing for us as people, you know, lock ourselves in a you know in a room for eleven of the twelve months of the year to write and do things and not experience life. We need to be able to refresh ourselves as human beings, and there may be see things we see or things we hear. Or, you know, just in connection with other people, possibly even just the nature, the beach. I know somebody goes to the beach a lot and that helps them. So that we can get back to being the, the, the creative uh, strength that we want to have and not have it lost, you know, from a lack of contact. So I definitely encourage that. I think of, definitely think it's important. Now remember, folks, we can use pain in the creative process whether we want to or not 
is a question in itself and whether we can even stop ourselves. Some people can't stop themselves. I got to use or they got to keep going. Da, 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 da. Fine. In other instances, you, you got to be able to just try to figure out, you know, through your own experimentation, through your own trying to accommodate it, what's going to work best for you. There isn't some magical formula for this sort of thing. If there were, I'd tell you it right now. But there really isn't. It's a very individualized thing because we all have different psychological makeups. We all have different pain thresholds. You know, we all have different sleep habits and, 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 and family units. I know some writers that, you know, they don't have to worry about a family as much. Others do. You know, I know others that are more alone in their lives and others that they have a big, big conglomeration of people all around them and do all kinds of things. And it's, it's something that's important to them, but also other parts of life is too. And because of all of those different mixtures of elements, you're never going to know how you can use pain or if it could be useful or not. I've talked to a few people. They use it on a regular basis and they're comfortable with it. I have talked to other people that said, hey, and I did whatever I could with it. And then eventually I just went about my own way and just sort of ignored it. And I'll, I'll deal with it when it comes up, but I, I, I practically pretend it doesn't exist. That was their way of dealing with it. I'm not suggesting that denial is supposed to be some wonderful thing, but there are cases when it's necessary. John Nash, what we talked about before, that was part of his therapeutic success. I see you, Mr. Figure, in front of my eyes that nobody else can see, but I am going to ignore you. I know you're there, but I'm going to ignore you to concentrate on my life. He had less episodes of these things, and when they were there, they just couldn't make contact with him. That was literally a therapeutic way of being uh, of denial. Not the denial, total denial of, you're not there, because that's what keeps you mentally ill. When something's there and you're saying it's not there, you're going to stay mentally ill. But if you're saying, yeah, I know you're there, but you're not going to mess with my life, I'm not talking to you, go to heck, then there you go. That type of denial. And that's the denial they were talking about. I know it's there, but to heck with it. I'll deal with it. But I'm not going to deal with it on its terms. I'm going to figure out my own. And that's what you could do when you have pain and you still want to try to incorporate it in your life, especially if it's something that's going to be a long-term or maybe even, unfortunately, you know, a lifetime. All right, folks, that is it for episode 234, Using Pain in the Creative Process. This is Mark Anthony Rossi, Strength to be Human. I wish you all, folks, a painless life as much as you can. And we do have a, a number of wonderful shows still coming up. So thank you for all your support and your emails. I really do appreciate it, especially the nice folks who are wishing me well uh, in my healing. And it's happening. It's just slow. I'm not exactly a young guy, but uh, I'm encouraged that uh, uh, I'll be back on the road by early summer. All right, folks. God bless. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.